breath you have life. I think of my uh, grandmother who just celebrated 104 years old this past week. She didn't have quite the same definition of brevity of life as, uh, as the rest of us. It's amazing how um, in all these prayer requests, every time you mention something to the nature of that person knows the Lord or doesn't know the Lord, how it makes all the difference in what you're asking. Not just because of salvation, but because of how we respond to, uh, respond to a need, how we address a need. And so it's a blessing to know the Lord. What a difference it makes to respond in a specific situation with the knowledge of truth versus not knowing truth. So that's blessed when you hear these requests. It is important to know if they're believers or, or not. It helps us understand how to, how to better pray, how to better pray for them. feels like I haven't been here in a while. It's been two weeks, and I appreciate Mark um, covering for me last week. And it didn't seem like he ran anybody off, so I was thankful about that. And uh, uh, I do check up with a few key people that are I checked with Cindy afterwards Cindy was Mark okay because you know as long as Cindy's here we're we're good but uh, a blessing to have so many so many people that can can teach and cover these responsibilities I was in the ministry for church plant ministry for so many years where uh, you're the most knowledgeable person my wife was more knowledgeable than anybody else in that church as well you know our own bible background both of us and uh, so many laps ahead of anybody else. But How many times did Jane teach? Well, unofficially. She shared her testimony. Um, <laughs> and you come here and you have just a wealth of people who could really jump in and, and, and teach and preach the word. So um, that's certainly certainly a blessing. Let's go to... First Corinthians chapter 1, we, we finished off last time with verse 11, I just want to come back on this thought of prayer that he finishes up in, in verse 11 for us, so 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we're going to begin in verse 12 today, finished last time with his exhortation to prayer, uh, praying together, and, and as you pray together, that many faces coming together and encourage and help through not just individual prayer, but prayer as a corporate prayer and he finishes with with that in verse 11 he picks up in verse 12 with our uh begins with with verse 12 let's read it he talks about boasting here in the first few verses and we're going to walk through this and so as we walk through the reading we're going to also <clears throat> explain a little bit some of these some of these expressions here some of these terms being used in, in, in these few verses here Paul was, was facing some criticism, right? He was facing some criticism, and he's going to answer some of that. So we're going to address some of that today. Not one, the nature of the criticism that he was facing, and then his, his response to it. Knowing, knowing the context, okay, knowing that he's, he's got people that are, are, are expressing some criticism, some concern, what are some things that we should be looking for in these verses? Knowing that they had some gripes, what are some things you want to look for? I mean, ultimately, and I find this every time I read commentaries and I look back and read the text, the text is not ultimately about their gripes and about Paul. It's about us understanding what God, what God, how do we learn about God in this context? What do we learn about him? And how do we learn about how to respond to criticism? So when you walk through a text like this, I'm reading through it, and it's not just about, well, here's what they complained about, and here's how he's responded. It's what's a godly response to criticism, 
uh, and we, we see that in his initial response here, just his his response to those who criticize him, and perhaps our natural response to to criticism, or how do we respond to criticism when, when people um, express frustrations and they express them here. Again, when you're reading a text, he's not going to say, here's what you complained about, here's my response. He's going to walk through, but what he addresses is indicative of the concerns that they had, right? So what, what he's going to address in this chapter and chapters going forward here, he's addressing the issues that have been brought back to him through Titus that they've expressed concerns to, so he's addressing it without necessarily, hey, you guys are complaining about that I'm doing this. Let me tell you why. No, he just walks into a, a response to it. So let's read these verses 12 through 24. We're going to read them slowly, not because you're slow, but slowly because... Uh, we, we, I want to stop and, and explain words as we, as we go through this. So look at verse 12 uh, here as well. We have different translations, and we'll address some of that as we walk through. He says, for our boast is this. So verses 12 through 14, he'll mention basically, here's our boast. Now, different translations have probably a little bit better uh, than, than this perhaps. King James says this is our rejoicing. Uh, New Living Translation and NASB I like it a little bit better only because it uses the word confidence here. I mean, when you think boasting, it's hard not to think of boasting without having a negative connotation. I mean, not, not too many people think of boasting as a good thing. Yeah, you're boasting. Well, he uses the term here. He doesn't use it in a negative way. And actually, the translation that Nasby has, Nasby says, our proud confidence, or the New Living Translation says, we can say this with confidence. So the boasting is... His expression of what he's confident in. This is what I'm confident about. So he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity. Simplicity meaning holiness. Simplicity meaning uh, no duplicity. When you say that we, we, we behave with simplicity, which means we didn't have no uh, ulterior motives, right? In all simplicity. And godly sincerity not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope that if you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Verse 15, he says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted, you to, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. So the second experience of grace is simply through an additional visit from, from his. It's not a double anointing of the Spirit. is through his bringing the grace of God in, in an altered visit to him, to them, rather. Verse 16. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? What he's saying is that he was not able to come to them when he had initially planned on coming to them. So he says, was I speaking out of the two sides of my mouth when I said I'm coming? He said, no, I wasn't vacillating. I wanted to come. I said I'm coming, but obviously I was not able to. So I wasn't going yes, yes on one hand and no, no on the other. So he's defending the fact that my, when I said this, I intended to come. I wasn't vacillating in my words to you because obviously, clearly, if he's saying this, it's because it's one of the complaints they have with him. He did not come when he had planned on coming and when he had said he was going to come. 
So he's not speaking. All he's saying is here is I'm not speaking out of the two sides of my mouth. I meant yes when I said yes. It says verse 18, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and, Timoth- and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. So he redirects him. We're going to see that. He redirects him to Christ. In Christ, it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. I mean, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. All the promises of God find, uh, find themselves in Christ. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes or makes certain, validates us with you in Christ and has anointed us, verse 22, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Verse 23 says, I call, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. In other words, what he's saying is that if I would have come when I originally had planned, it would have not been profitable. Not been profitable because... Remember the, the painful letter that he had already sent once? If I would have come at that point, it would have been another painful visit. Now, in God's providential timing, I was not able to come. Now that I am able to come, this, right, this is the right time. Thankfully, some have repented since. So all he's saying is, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not, and they say, you know, so he, the timing is now better. Now a portion of them have repented of their initial complaints. And uh, though he addresses those who have not yet in the second part of the letter. Verse 24, he says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your, uh, in your faith. So Paul's response here, as we see his response to the criticism, he says, By the grace of God, his only boast is in, in Christ. What would be... What's a, a, a natural response to criticism? I mean, put yourself, put yourself in Paul's situation specifically. What would be a natural response, knowing what Paul had gone through, knowing his travels, knowing what he's experiencing, he's coming to Corinth, and they're complaining. What would be your natural response to criticism? Defend yourself. Defend yourself. Pride. Pride. Pride, I mean. What was Paul experiencing? I mean, he walks through. He, he walks through sharing to him is what trials, tribulation. It, you know, it's like it's like you at work having a, a, a bad week. I mean, everything fell apart. You're like scrambling. You're having a hard time, and someone comes to you and has a complaint. You're thinking, buddy, if you only knew the week I had, you know. You're bothering me because there wasn't toilet paper in the bathroom. That's not even my job. I mean, you know, in other words, you automatically, Paul's got to be thinking, wow, you guys are sitting here very comfy. I've been traveling, being stoned, being uh, persecuted, being chased at, being threatened, being almost, almost ready to die, and you're complaining I didn't come to you when I said I was because I couldn't make it. I mean, it's very easy to get indignant when criticism comes. And his response to the criticism is, is really a model of humility and a model of how we can respond, respond as well. So when Paul is confronted with men in the church, remember they're, 
these other men that are boasting about their credentials. So he's also in the church, he's also dealing with other men in the church who are boasting about their credentials, about why they should be followed. So he's got a double whammy here. He's got these other guys over here that kind of like drawing the sheep to themselves and, and, and pulling the sheep away through their boasting of how sharp they are, how smart they are, how knowledgeable they are, how gifted they are. And he kind of, he feels beaten up and tired and point of death, the point of despair we saw in the first part of the chapter, and he's coming then to to the church. He says a little bit later, I think of, I, in 1 Corinthians uh, eleven eighteen, talking to the church, he says, many boast according to the flesh. And that's what he's dealing with. You know, many people boast. Again, find confidence in boasting and, and take pride in that confidence according to, to the flesh. I put boasting rejected because he rejects the notion of boasting in himself and he resists the urge that would, I would think would be any human urge. He resists the urge to, to put forth all his, all his credentials. He, he resists the urge to in the desire to defend himself, lift himself up, um, and not do that. So I'll put down here just a couple of verses. One, boast, just a reminder that when we read that word boast, it, it's well translated, the word to have confidence. My confidence is in this. I find confidence and I boast in this. So the boast is expressed confidence. The issue, therefore, is not the boasting in and of itself. The issue is two things about boasting. What's going to be an issue about boasting? What's going to be, what am I boasting about? the motivation behind your boasting, and the subject of our boasting. So those are the things that we should be, be aware of and be concerned about. Jeremiah 9, I put that verse here because it's just, it's just a perfect verse to, to illustrate this. Jeremiah 9.23 says this, is that not the, the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast in three things. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in in his riches, meaning find confidence and strength in in those three things. Boy, every one of us, depends on who you are, are tempted in those three areas when it comes to boasting, meaning finding our confidence in these things. One, he says, in his wisdom, which means in my own wisdom, thinking, okay, what does it mean to boast in your own wisdom? What does it mean to have confidence in your, in your own wisdom? That's right, I can't walk over here, can I? Yeah, that ring. What does it mean to boast in your own wisdom? What does it look like? You're smarter than God. You're smarter than God. Now, no one's going to say that, but you're going to act like you are. Every time you take God's word and you look at it and say, ah, does he really mean that? You're, you're thinking, I've got a better handle on this than God does. Everybody feels like their circumstances are, are specific to them, right? And God, God clearly cannot understand this. But my situation is different and unique. That's why it justifies a different approach. Our own wisdom, our own thought thought process. He then goes, what? Let not not the mighty man boast in his might. The the strength, now, tell you, as you get older, you lose that sense of might. (laughs) But when you're young, you think, you know, I could could live on, you know, coffee and donuts and run, you know, 18-hour days, and I could get her done. (laughs) As you get a little bit older, like like Mark's age, you think, like, no, I just can't. (laughs) Coffee and donuts, yes, but I just can't get her done no more. So... (laughs) Did you pick on me last week? Because I heard, I heard a few things. <laughs> yeah, James sometimes might ask me about why I said something. Yeah, all script, you know, I fly all script, so we try not to do that. 
it, youthful strength can give the impression that, boy, we could just, you know, we could just, we could just talk ourselves and be, man, we could do this. Boy, with age and with wisdom and with experience, start realizing, no, I can't get anything done without the Lord. So many people go on the field as missionaries thinking, we're going to go conquer, we're going to go climb the hill for Jesus. We're going to plant our flag on top of this hill. And I've been smacked down a few times. I had a colleague who left France after 10 years. He says, Jeff, I just, I feel like I'm a battered spouse. I came here to love on the people, and they kept, they kept on smacking me down. And uh, so, yeah, you're in that youthfulness thinking, that I'm, I'm going to do something for Jesus. Listen, you're going to do nothing for Jesus. You're just thankful that we're humble servants for the Lord. That's so this idea that you find your boast and your confidence and your wisdom and your, and your might, and then not the rich man boast in his riches. Find confidence, hey, and we, you know, I've got this. If, I, if, if, I, if my washer breaks down, I can handle that. Now, of course, the Lord can start making a few things break down. You start wondering, wait a minute, you know, you're confident until, the, until your stocks start dropping again. They're like, wait a minute, I, I was feeling pretty good until the stock market is down 20%. We're, we're all inclined to, to find our confidence and our strength. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see, and it's a blessing actually to see, uh, Paul's response to the criticism is in, his, in reaffirming the source of his confidence. And he's going to boast in the right way. He's boast in, in, the, in, in the godly way. I put down, what does a wrong boasting look like? Clearly a theme of, of this passage um, more than I think I, you'd think you'd find the theme of boasting in, in the Psalms I think I saw Psalms has it referenced like uh, maybe 12 times Second Corinthians alone has I think 23 references to boasting so clearly it's a theme through where he does he find his strength where does he find his confidence throughout, throughout this letter and the, again the issue is not am I, am I allowed to boast Am I allowed to have to express confidence in? But the idea is, is the subject of my boasting. Why do I boast? And the subject of my boasting is is going to be the be, be the key piece here. These other men that he's confronted with in the church, why are they boasting? Well, they're boasting to um, to draw attention to themselves. They're boasting these other speakers that are drawing people away. They're boasting in their own in their own abilities. So I put down, what does wrong boasting look like? I put down three words. I, diff, three different perspectives that we see through Paul. The I perspective, meaning Paul's identity is in Christ and his boasting is, is in Christ, not himself. He doesn't lift up like the other men in the church at the time. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, did I tell you about my road to Damascus experience? I mean, I mean, I was like, man, the glory of the Lord shone. I mean, I was shining, baby. It's like, I mean, I was, you know, I mean, I walk with the Lord. I've seen miracles. I mean, he, he, he deflects on on Christ, and his boasting is not in himself and in Christ. I, it's a very dangerous place to be, and a very scary place to be, when our confidence and our boasting is in ourselves. And we feel the need, and the flesh is one thing. The flesh always needs to be validated. Always. Every time you hear someone say how hard of a day they had, you're tempted to say, I had a harder day. 
You won't just say, you know, you just want to answer this one. I mean, I appreciate your hard day. My day was just a little bit harder. And trust me, in ministry, they're all the same. Missionaries, I mean, raising support. Yeah, I, I raised 50% of my support in two months. Somebody else, really? I, you know, I, I did it in six weeks. And it was like, it's like there's, there's this constant... This constant struggle, and and your flesh is, Paul is not immune to that. But what he first and foremost does is boast about the one thing he can boast about, and that's Jesus Christ. So the eye becomes his identity in Christ. Others' perspective doesn't does not focus on comparing himself to others. Find interesting a little bit later in Second Corinthians chapter ten. He talks about those who are committing themselves. They measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. So he's, he's talking about these others that are boasting. What do they do? One, one sign of their boasting in a wrong way is that they compare themselves with themselves and with, with others. And so his, he does focus. He doesn't like, well, I mean, compared to others, I've suffered a lot more. I've been in the faith a lot longer. I've been trained by greater people. I, he, he, he deflects and his, he doesn't compare himself to others, but redirects the attention on Jesus Christ. And the other thing we see here in his, in his boasting is that his confidence is, I put down a, a temporal, not a temporal perspective, but he's got an eternal perspective. His confidence is always cast in light of the day of the Lord. <coughs> his confidence is always cast in the day of the Lord. He tells them a little bit later in these verses here, he says, listen, I'm confident on that day. And he says that for them too. He says, uh, verse 14, just as you did partially understand, but on the day of the Lord Jesus, you'll boast of us and we will boast of you. I mean, he's talking about those who are criticizing him. He's expressing confidence that in the day of the Lord, well, I'm confident that in what the Lord's doing in your life and what he's doing in our lives, and, and that's, that's my source of my confidence. So he expresses that as he directs their attention towards, towards Jesus Christ. So I found one interesting contrast. Paul does defend himself. He doesn't ignore the criticism. And there's, there's three things here we see that they're, they're criticizing for. He doesn't ignore the criticism. I saw one person making an analogy between – that right there? What does, yeah, what, what does Christ versus Paul's response to criticism have in common? When, when Christ, of course, is taken to the cross before his accusers, what's his response? Silence, praying for them. Lord, forgive them. What's Paul's response? For, or Paul does give an explanation for why things played out the way they did. But one person gave, I thought, interesting insights. Is the, the what do they have in common? What they have in common is that the Lord was silent out of love because he's going to sacrifice himself for, for his sheep. And Paul was also acting out of love because he didn't want his sheep to be laid, um, led, ast- led astray. So I put down love as the indicative, or love as the common denominator here. Both acted out of love for, for, for their sheep. Christ, I put down Christ silent as it went to die for his sheep. Paul speaks out to defend the sheep from the, from the wolves, but neither one of them did it out of self-serving, but acted out of love for, for their sheep. So, his boasting, I put down also his boasting is, is redirected. Look at verse 12. Now, of course, 
he he doesn't even though the criticism is about him he says what in verse 12 he says he first and foremost defends his ministry verse 12 see the plurality says our boast our boast is in him our conscience and how we behaved of course he's also traveling with his co-workers and he's expressing that on their behalf as well but he acted in such a way to hey this is not about me this is about us this is about the ministry this is about the ministry god's called me to do this is not this is about the office of 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 being an apostle but he doesn't take it as something that is personal personal to him I tell you, many, many times you have to have that perspective whenever you're trying to share the gospel and you're trying to be an example spiritually and you get a critical response or you get this irritated response, you get this irritable response. Many times, and we've done that many times in ministry, you're sitting there thinking the problem they have is not with me. The problem they have is, is with the truth, with the Lord, or something else that they're struggling with. I've been in many, many delicate meetings or confrontational meetings and honestly my heart is I, I don't take it personally because their issue is their child struggling and they're struggling with that their issue is that they're they're struggling with their own view of God they're struggling with their own fear of, of life they're struggling with their own fear that they're losing their child they're struggling and I, I get it and though I might have to dismiss a child and the other day I was at a food line and I Walked up to the father, and I recognized him, and I was didn't quite know the context. I just, hey, how you doing? And then I walked away. He didn't seem very. He seemed kind of cold. I was like, ooh, that's right. I dismissed his son last year. <laughs> like, just totally oblivious. I just walked right in, you know. But you know, I don't. I don't have any, anything between me and that man. Throughout the, he's grieves over his son that's making poor choices that de- demonstrating faith. It's not about me. I realize it's not about you. And Paul doesn't make it about himself. And when he takes this, he, he's, you know, he, he says, hey, he talks about you know, our ministry, our boast, our testimony, and the way we behave, our behavior, uh, is how we acted for the cause and for the purpose of, of redirecting towards, towards Christ. Why up and down? Why does Paul care about what people think of him? I put that here because there is a little a little side to this that um, in his response, our our human response can can sometimes respond in two ways. We could take it to one. I'm going to say to one extreme or the other, perhaps. But we could also take this idea of being criticized or facing criticism by saying, "I don't care what people think." You ever heard somebody say that? I don't care what people think. Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say, ah, listen, let's get off my back. I know I'm good before the Lord. It's me and God. I don't care what people think. There's, what's the, what's the problem with that response? Now, it might seem like, it's, oh, this is a mature response, right? I don't get rattled by, by this criticism. I'm beyond that. I'm above that. I'm, uh, and it might seem, on one hand, this is like, wow, this is like a more spiritual approach, right? I don't worry about what people think about me. I'm here for God. I've heard that many times. You know, I'm, I'm here for the Lord. I don't get caught with a little drama with people. Paul doesn't respond that way. He takes the time to, to lovingly, carefully respond to them. What's the problem with saying, I don't care what people think about me? 
What's that really indicative of? Say again. The lack of love. The lack of love. The lack of the love you have for others. I mean, I, I don't care what people think. Is not a is not a meritorious attitude. It's not something. Wow, that's 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 commendable. It's not. What you're actually saying is that I'm so self-centered and selfish that I don't care what people think about me. And the issue at hand is what is what Paul is saying. It's not the issue is with me. The issue is deflecting on the Lord, right? The issue that he's that Paul's concerned about is not what do people think about me. His the the concern he has is am am I directing them so that they would see Christ. Am I not being, um, I think in 2 Corinthians, a little bit later in chapter 6, he says we commend ourselves in every way. He says we are true ministers of the gospel, and he describes his, uh, the affliction and endurance that he goes through, but his boasting and his confidence is not, does not come from his achievements, but rather the hardships of ministry, and he wants people to not, to not be a stumbling block to others. So I should care. What people think of me from the from the vintage point that my life and my word should deflect towards Christ, and when people see me, they should see Christ. And my response should be, "Yes, I care because I I want them to see Christ. I should care." And listen, I know sometimes we've been burnt by people, and we're we've been um, frustrated because people don't respond to the way we would like to me. I mean, you could be. I just imagine the thousand ways this plays out in church. You work children's ministry for three years, crying and, and grumbling little kids, and then one day you do something and, and a parent complains. They, you know, oh, you should have called me. He said, should have called you. Your baby's been crying nonstop for the past three years, and now you're frustrated I didn't come and get you. You know, or I mean, is that easy? Is that easy? And so. To, to embrace that, I tell you, it, it's not commendable to have a spirit of I don't care what people think. Our, our, our desire should be, yes, I should care to the extent that I want people to see Christ. And I want them to see that my confidence and my boast is in him and not in myself and my own abilities. So what are the few complaints? I, I sent that in the, in the um, email. And actually when I was going through this, there's other questions I, I could have brought out. So what I'll do is, is kind of just tell you the text that we're reading through and then give you um, questions to think about as you walk through the text so that when we come Sunday morning, perhaps you have a little, little leg up. And then Sunday morning, if you get a few minutes to get up early, earlier and, and read it, you're welcome to do so. So three areas that they express complaints about. We see that in his response. Verse 20, the first one, verse 12 and 20, uh, to 14. He's the, basically, he expresses that Paul was hard to understand. He says, we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. I hope you fully understand, just as you partially understood. He says, okay, you didn't understand us completely before. You understood partially, but I'm hoping that you understand us. So he's saying, I'm going to bring clarity. So, one, they are saying that there's something about what he was sharing that he was hard to understand. They only partially understood what he was um, doing. So he addresses that. The obvious one in verse 15 to 23 is that they're saying that he's not dependable. Um, he didn't come to visit them as planned. Verse 20, 15, he said, I wanted to visit you. Was I vacillating when I wanted to come? That's what I said earlier. Was he saying, I said, yes, yes, no, no. Was I speaking out of the two sides of my mouth? I mean, they're complaining that he didn't visit when he said he would. It was beyond him, but he explained some of that. That was one of the questions they had. You're not reliable. You're not dependable. 
And then he ends with the idea of, of uh, them saying he's got a, some a form of domineering attitude. The last verse, verse 24, says, Not that we lord it over your faith. I could imagine, imagine the other... Imagine the other naysayers, right? He's got other men there vying for their attention. Kind of goes into the the idea last week. I was preaching on the, the what it means to have apostates and apostasy. Men who are like they're, they're like this in their ear of the church. What they're saying. Here's what they're telling these people. Uh, you know, Paul doesn't speak as well as we do. He's not as eloquent as we are. We're, we're better with our words, and they're more educated. This and that. So he's saying, you know, what he's saying is even clear. So they're 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 casting doubt on his ability to communicate clearly. Then you're saying, man, did he, did he not say he was going to come? I mean, like, we're here, and he said he's coming, and he didn't come. Man, what does that say? Does he really care for you guys? I mean, he just, man, flippant. He's so fickle about what he's committing to do. So they're, they're nabbing at, you know, they're little, they're little chihuahuas, you know, nabbing at their ankles. Uh, and then, man, he's just, he just thinks he's a big shot because... The Damascus experience. I mean, come on. Did he, was he just got blinded? I mean, he really see the Lord? I mean, was it? Was it? And, and they're there nabbing at these little things, and he's saying, hey, I'm not here to lord over you. I wasn't being fickle and, and, and slight you, and I didn't come. And, and I'll, I'll try to bring better understanding to what I said and bring a full understanding. So he responds to these, to these criticism and, and does so in a gracious way, but does so primarily and here's where, you know, if we walk away, we've got, you know, three, four minutes here. When we walk away from that is the beauty of the fact that he deflects. I want to say three things that uh, typifies his response to criticism and how we can model that and how he does that here. The first part, he talked about having a clear conscience. But in the two, three minutes, I just want to cover one aspect that I found interesting as you walk through this text. First of all, he uses a, a very legal language. He, he uses legal language to... to a, to affirm the, um, well, let me just, let's just look at the, verse, the verses together. Verse 12, I'm going I'm to bring out to you the legal language. What, what do I mean by legal language? He's using legal terms to officialize what he's saying, to bring a certain, uh, ah, that's the right word I'm looking for. Um, that's not to officialize what he's saying, but he uses certain official terms that they would recognize as legal terms, I guess what I'm saying. First, verse 12, he talks about uh, giving his testimony in such a way the one that would stand before men and God. So my, the testimony is this. And my testimony is going to stand the test of man and to stand the test of God. Verse 21, it is God who establishes us. In, in business law, this signifies a seller's guarantee to honor a contract. He says God is a guarantor of our lifelong relationship with the Son of God. So he presents God as the, the, the one that's going to guarantee a, a lifelong relationship with Christ. He uses a legal term, legal language when he does this to establish the authenticity of what he's saying and the certainty of what he's saying. Verse 22, he says he puts his seal on us. This seal indicates ownership of a document. The presence of the Holy Spirit within us is, there, is our seal of ownership. Um, Believe it or not, I don't know who gets notarized these days, but when I think of Carla as a notary, very respectable Carla, she's good to be a notary. My daughter's a notary now. I don't know, it doesn't sound quite so respectable for my 21-year-old to be a notary, but her, her boss at work asked her to do it, so she's telling me the other day, yeah, I'm going to get my seal. I'm like, my daughter, are you sure you want to seal documents? But it officializes, right, authenticates, 
And the seal of ownership, ownership rather, that seal is one that authenticates the presence of the Spirit within us and our ownership to Him. Verse 22 speaks of this guarantee. This guarantee language is, is one where there's a deposit or down payment and pledge of a payment in full to come, right? So in modern Greek, it was an, an engagement ring as well. This engagement ring is this pledge of a promise of something greater to come. No jokes on the greater part of um, come later, but you know, in theory, that's how it works. Um, so that language in verse 22, this guarantee is this deposit of a pledge of payment in full to come. And then verse 23, I call God to what? To witness against me. God is my witness. My motives are pure. So he uses throughout these few verses legal terms, language. When we read them, we don't always see that because they're not, uh, we don't necessarily read them that way, but they certainly understand, understood them to be, to be that way. So next week, we're going to start here next week on seeing um, what it means to be a man of a clear conscience, which he begins in verse 12. We see how he's a man of his word as well, and he describes that. And then we see a man in the last verse, a man who died to self, who served. Beautiful, just breaks down in one verse what it means to be uh, a man who... who um, who dies himself and a servant, and how he serves them. So he'll walk through his answer to their criticism with these three, with these three areas. So we'll pick up on that, on that next week. So our time is out for this morning, though. Blessing to be here. Blessing to see everyone. Like I said earlier, it feels like I haven't been here in, in a long time. When you just missed a week, but um, a blessing to pick back up in, in Second Corinthians. So let's pray. Father, I commit this this time to you. <clears throat> Lord, I, I'm thankful that we're able to be at your service, as Paul was, in our own humble way. And Lord, I know that any one of us, as we step up to preserve, protect, proclaim the gospel, that we will face criticism. And Lord, our response to that criticism, Lord, needs to be one in all humility, that we might not try to find confidence and boast in ourselves, that we can boast in you, and that we can demonstrate, as Paul did, that with all this, his confidence is in your work in his life and in the work of those who are criticizing him. But what a blessing to hear him demonstrate that in these first few verses. The man who certainly, with all that he had experienced and all the tribulations he could have experienced, he, he could have responded in such a different way. What grace you've given to him, Lord, humility to be a servant of God. And Lord, I pray that we might just glean from, from some of that. I pray for Rich this morning as he shares the word, as he finishes now and shares the word in second service, Lord. May we be just blessed by the teaching of your word. Uh, bless his families, Lord. We commit this time to you in your name we pray. Amen.